Well, welcome to Podcast Tips with Rob Greenley. I'm Rob Greenley, and thank you for joining me tonight uh, for episode 14 of the series. Uh, please stay with us. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you. Um, and tonight we're going to discuss the conceptual power of stoicism and a promise implied in your content and your relationships in your community that uh, drives some equity of value. And that's kind of beyond the exchange of time for, for money. Um, so, you know, really some exciting concepts that we're going to talk about on this episode that maybe have never been talked about in the podcasting space before. Um, so, but I have a terrific creator with me. Uh, and his name is, uh, he's a podcaster for a very long time and has done some, some, some successful podcasts and helped a lot of people over the years to create um, compelling podcasting as well. His name is Tanner Campbell. And so I'm going to bring him up on the screen and uh, we can, you can get to know him a little bit more. Tanner, thank you for, for joining me on the show. What's up, Rob? How are you, man? It's good to see I'm, you. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has. It's been, it, it's been far too long, actually. Um, so I think, you know, you've moved to the United Kingdom. So that yeah. maybe had a little bit to do with maybe that. <laughs> I said, I can't but, do it anymore. I got to get out. <laughs> Right, right, right. But it looks like uh, we've got uh, a lot of people with us in the community that are already posting comments, and um, and I, I'm sure they're going to see. You know, I'm going to have another giveaway here on the show. And I'm going to give away a, a mug and a, a Streamyard hoodie uh, sweatshirt. So at the end of the program, uh, stick around, and I will pull the the drawing cord of sorts and and pick a winner. Um, but in the meantime, if you would like, uh, enter the hashtag, the yard hashtag, you know, the, the, um, the pound sign. And, uh, know, let me see if I can pull an example of that up and to see if anybody's done it. I guess nobody's done it yet. So, um, go in and just enter hashtag the yard into your comment field. And that'll enter you into the drawing in the giveaway. But, Tanner is a, an American uh, podcast creator and host of the award-winning uh, Practical Stoicism podcast and is now, uh, I guess, proudly part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, which is a, a very successful podcast network here in the U.S. Um, that has many, many um, very, very good podcasts. So I think, Tanner, you're in good company there. Uh, and he's also co-author of a book called What is Stoicism? that came out in November of 2024 by New World Library. Uh, he's a longtime podcast media consultant. Uh, I, I think you even have your, tr your own training groups that you've done with podcasters mm -hmm. to help them um, kind of start their shows and become successful. And as a quasi-retired studio owner and audio engineer. So, you know, you've got the technical chops too. Um, but if you wanted to see his... Um, his podcasts, I'll pull them up on the screen here really quick, uh, the the addresses to the Practical Stoicism podcast, and then the Meet Dads uh, podcast, which is a new project that he's he's recently launched. So, so Tanner, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And then I'm going to be pulling in comments as we go through the show today, because we've got so many people that are already in here. I'm already behind, Tanner. I see, I see. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting people uh, displayed on the screen because I know that's what everybody wants is to be pulled up on the screen. But uh, 
So th the idea here is I wanted to share some, some concepts um, that maybe podcasters haven't really thought about. And, and Tanner, you've been a terrific example of this. I know you've really kind of pushed the envelope around even areas like monetization and, and I've really shared a lot of interesting ideas with me over the years um, on podcasting and because you've been out there in the trenches um, and I'm sure you have the uh, bruises to show that, but uh, it's, it's, that's really how podcasters learn now uh, is out there doing it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of that learning process that you went through to learn podcasting and, and to then help others. Sure. I started in podcasting in 2010 because I was a, I was a brain. I'm not a person who does physical work. I'm a thinker. That's, that's what I do. And yeah. So I had well, it's a an appropriate of, podcast to write about yeah, stoicism. Right. <laughs> I had a lot of um, like IT kind of jobs and stuff, and I never considered myself to be a very artistic person. And when podcasting came across my radar, and you still needed to be able to put together an XML document to have your own RSS feed, you know, before there were podcast hosting providers, uh, you know, in great numbers to choose from, you had to create your own RSS feeds and host them and figure out how all the enclosure tags. And I thought, oh, well, I mean, I'm technical and I can do that. And maybe this is a way for me to finally be a creative person. And I didn't, I didn't know at the time that I would take to that like a duck to water, that I would really enjoy hearing my own voice, uh, that I would learn over time that other people liked hearing my voice. And by that, I mean, not necessarily the things that I was saying, but the fact that I have a voice for radio, a, a voice for podcasting, and uh, pe people tend to be happy with it. And I think that those two things work to my advantage to encourage me to keep doing it. So I've probably had Gosh, I don't know. Um, I've probably had 20 or so podcasts over the years since then. So most of them abject failures uh, by any measure, right? No real listeners. But uh, among those failures, I had uh, three really big successes. The first mm -hmm. was a long-form theology podcast in 2012, 2013. Uh, the second was in 2015, a podcast called Legends, Myths, and Whiskey. And uh, most recently, Practical Stoicism in uh, 2020. I started that. Uh, and that has been my greatest success thus far. It has over 5 million listens in that time period. It averages about 4 million downloads, uh, uh, listens a year rather, uh, has listeners all over the world is, is quite a surprise because I think stoicism by most people's measure is not a particularly fascinating, <laughs> exciting time. It's kind of boring, I guess is what I'm getting at. So it's a surprise and a, a great joy actually. Uh, that, it, that it's been my most successful project. But uh, th over that time and throughout those many failures and few successes, I just continued to be smitten by all the itty-bitty parts of creating podcasts. I liked the engineering because I was a brain technical right. person. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that through technology, I could all of a sudden be an artistic person and I could tell stories. And I wound up in 2015 – being approached by some people who thought, hey, you know, your podcast, when compared to most other podcasts that were being published at the time, is of really high quality in comparison. I had hired a composer. Mm -hmm. I was paying to score stories that I was reading. So I mean, it was really over the top. Uh, and I would get calls that said, hey, we like the way your podcast sounds. Would you edit our podcast for us? Could you make our podcast sound like that? And mm -hmm. 
you know, I would charge $30 to edit a podcast episode, which is an atrocious rate to offer for your time. <laughs> I learned that much later. Um, and I would say things like, you know, if you don't like it, just don't tell anybody that you don't like it. I had imposter syndrome in a big way at that point. Uh, and I just, then I realized I was good at editing. It wasn't just that I was good at editing my own show. Now I had validation that I was good at editing and engineering uh, all things that I was self-taught, other people's shows. And so I stood up a business um, editing and engineering podcast, which eventually led to a lot of freelance work, which eventually led to me crowdsourcing the opening of my first brick and mortar studio uh, in Portland, Maine in 20, you could argue it's 2017, 2018, but I think of it as 2018 uh, in the, in the early winter of 2018. And from there, I think I became, I wouldn't say a media darling uh, in, inside the podcasting world, but I became a thorn in a lot of sides uh, because the studio gave me somewhat of a platform due to the uh, the access I had to certain guests. Like, for example, I, I worked with Joan London. I worked with the Washington Post. I worked with Cleveland Clinic. I worked with, you know, people who some guy who started audio engineering podcasts in 2015 shouldn't really be working with. I did uh, automated, uh, automatic dialogue replacement on a film. Uh, on a real film, like a Hollywood film, a, a B film, but still a film. And it, uh, all of a sudden, people were taking my opinions a lot more seriously. And that was interesting to me because I had a lot of opinions. Being someone who, you know, I, I've breezed through that history, but the truth is that most people who give advice about podcasting or start podcasts have not been marketing experts within the medium and studio owners and engineers and producers and writers and performers or talent. And I've been all those things. So I would give or I would write uh, in kind of a holistic way. And I don't think that a lot of quote unquote podcast gurus or experts took kindly to some of the things I was saying because well, they they weren't in keeping with what was popular. <laughs> I think you you know you've seen that happen to me in real time, Rob. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I think to some degree it kind of happens to all of us that maybe take a different opinion about things, you know, yeah. and and kind of voice maybe a different experience or a different perspective on it. And that's what's really interesting about you too is is that you know I I I learn a lot from hearing you and and i'm like there's something about what you're doing that actually um that resonates with with you know, listeners and i think your your creative endeavors and how you produce your podcast is a is a very good example of that do you think that it's possible for you know more podcasters to maybe do the kind of productions that you're you're doing with your podcast or do you think it's kind of beyond a lot of podcasters to be able to do that? I think that, oh, man, that's a dangerous question. Because well, it is, it, yeah. It puts, but it cuts to know, the heart of the issue, right? Yeah. yeah, and I, unfortunately, am very easy at seeming like I'm condescending to people. So I've become more I get in it. tune yeah. with this as I've gotten older. So I'm going to try to be very careful in what I say. Sure. I think that creating a quality podcast where quality is – um, defined as the content of the show, the things right. that are coming out of your mouth. I think everyone can do that if they're thoughtful. Mm -hmm. 
there is a lot of money in the space now. So you have, you know, Marvel has podcasts and Spotify is producing them in million dollar studios. And a lot of people, in fact, are now, if you look at the top ranked podcasts in most on Apple podcasts or Spotify podcasts, the ones that they're really showing you and wanting you to listen to are produced by people with budgets. <laughs> and so, right. Or whole teams, right. Yeah, you know, Or whole teams with whole teams worths of budgets. Right. Uh, and, and that means that while the podcast, while the average podcast listener doesn't really have an ear for quality, they have been inadvertently trained to know when something sounds good and know when something doesn't sound like that thing that sounds good. So while I think everybody can create content, the, the words they're saying, that is compelling and good and, and worth listening to, I think most people have a really difficult time competing on the polish of the show that is now, uh, oh, I see you, April. It's nice to see you too. Yeah. Uh, that, that is now kind of expected by people who are listening to, you know, most most podcast listeners now just have a higher level of expectations when it comes to quality than most podcasters are able to create from day one. Right. What do you think is that that the essence of that difference um, that you have learned from actually doing it? Is it is, is it the post production? Is it the pre production? Or is it the production itself? <laughs> I think, think the magic. I think the magic is in the edit, uh, but of it's course I would think that because I'm an audio engineer, and so uh, <laughs> well, I'm obsessive about editing. And it well, changes. some people like to edit, some people don't, right? So you get the yeah. whole spectrum. Is there there any benefit to not editing? You think? No, it's not so that you can think me. of. <laughs> See, here's, here's the thing about podcasting that that makes giving absolute advice on it very difficult. It, well, there's, there's right. always some son of a gun that starts Can a prove podcast in their basement with two friends and it sounds like shit and somehow they become the most popular podcast of the year. <laughs> right? I'm not, and I'm not trying to, I'm not not saying a name and yeah. thinking of someone. Yeah. I'm just saying that happens. And, and when those things happen, it tends to upset, it tends to upset every, or reset everybody's ca calibrated idea of, what it takes to be successful. You, you see these pockets of success and you think, oh, the way they did it is the way to do it because they were successful. But there are so many, there are so many X factors in podcasting that it, it really is impossible to for, beware of any guru giving you advice on how to create a good and successful podcast because there's no formula. Um, I've seen podcasters do everything absolutely correctly in my view, they've they've produced beautifully. They've created segments. Their editing is is on point. Their engineering is amazing. Their marketing is. We can talk about marketing later. I don't think it matters that much, to be quite honest with you, especially now. And they still fail. They still can't get past twenty listeners, no matter what they do. And that's because one of the X factors in podcasting is you, and whether or not you fit with the content that you're choosing to create. These are one of those X factors I right. think you can impact. But the first one is like, right now people are watching this and they either say, hey, Tanner seems like he's my kind of guy. And other people are like, Tanner seems like a schmuck. I don't like him at all. <laughs> and I can't, I can't do anything to fix that. So, Yeah, but you kind of want that too, don't you? 
Well, uh, as, as a good friend of mine, uh, Nancy Marshall, who owns uh, Marshall Communications in Maine, used to say the right brand, and I know podcasters hate thinking of themselves as businesses and brands, but the right brand attracts the right people and repels the right people. Mm-hmm. But whether or not you're attracting enough of the right people <laughs> uh, is not really completely in your control. You can create a great show. And it, it just cannot bite with some people. It just won't right. hit. And, so, and that's, that's a thing that you can't fix. It just, it's either there yeah. or it isn't. Yeah. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize with podcasting is that it's, it's a word of mouth referral medium. So um, primarily, and I'm not sure that many kind of fully internalize How what that you means. That? How dare you say that? Thing I know. You know, I disagree with. <laughs> you know, I deeply disagree with that. So, well, of course, Tanner. I mean, I wouldn't challenge you at all on this podcast, right? <laughs> um, um. <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that um, you know, people if they like your show, um, there is a certain amount of element. Well, they'll they'll tell a friend or they'll tell you know somebody that they know that I listen to this podcast. Though I I, I can almost hear the words out of your mouth saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that other person's going to go find it and listen to it just because someone told them uh, that they listen to that show. But it's just, I mean, what's your view on it? I think podcasting used to, I think when I started my first podcast, I've gone back and I've looked at this because I want to say Pew Research still has this data. But when I started my first podcast, there were 30,000 podcasts. That's how many there were. There are now technically <laughs> 5 million plus, right? So word of mouth probably at some point held a lot more sway. And maybe my first podcast was successful as a result of mostly word of mouth. But now to get your podcast noticed, you got to understand with that much choice, <sighs> people are only going to listen to so many podcasts in a week. It's true. The chance that yours is going to be one of them, man, it's got to be real good. Uh, it's really got to resonate with them in order for it to be one of them. And yeah. I think that what a lot of people have believed in the past is if I make a good show and I market it well, it will be successful. It's kind of like people talk about the American dream. If I show up and I work really hard, I might win. You could show up, work really hard and still lose miserably. <laughs> that is the case with the American dream yeah. and the case with podcasting, unfortunately. Yeah, it's the same I, thing with uh, lots of things that, you know, starting a yeah. small business to playing sports, not everybody wins, right? And, and it's, and it's a really toxic, I think it's a very toxic thing. This, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's like a memed image where, thank you, April. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it, it's like a memed image where there's a, there's a guy who's digging, you know, he's digging two dimensionally uh, like a side scroller in a video game towards diamonds. Right. And he's, he's dug so he's so close to hitting these diamonds. And then there's a guy below who's quite older and he's just, this far away from if he had just dug one little bit more, he would have hit diamonds, but he's given up and he's walked away and he's an old man now. I think it's a really toxic, toxic idea to suggest that if you just keep digging, you eventually find diamonds because sometimes you just keep digging and you find a deeper and deeper pit of despair. And I think that, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of hope dealing in the podcast guru space that doesn't doesn't respect that because of course podcast gurus are trying to make money so they want you to believe that you can be successful well, that, no matter what if you do so much as you keep trying that and plus you know you don't want to 
dissuade um, the potential right. opportunity, right? Um, so it's this def- difficult line of balance, right, between being able to assess your abilities, your capabilities, and what the market is. And and sometimes it's, you know, it's the luck of the draw. You know, it's being at the right place at the right time, having a, a show that aligns with interest levels online. And there's just a lot of factors that go into it, it seems like. It's a creative Steve, endeavor. Steven, I've just turned my mic up a little bit. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, you have been a little quiet. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, so that's that's the thing is that you don't want to discourage, but you but you want to encourage and you want to have people realize that the, the potential is there, but does everyone fully grasp the scope of the challenge, I think, is really at the end of the day, that's the core, right? Yeah, and the answer to that, I think, is no. I think that most podcasters approach podcasting as if I create good content and I stick with it for, you know, whatever it is, beyond the 10 episodes or whatever the cutoff is, where if you stick with it for 10 episodes, it's the pod feeding. Yeah. So they they think if I can stick with this for two months or three months, then I should be able to see some traction. But there are so many podcasts that's just not true anymore. Even if you have a really stellar show, I think that now, thankfully, thankfully, um, Spotify is doing something very, is being very relentless in their attempts to bring algorithm-driven listener behavior-based discovery to their platform. And to mm-hmm. Apple's credit, although they are so far behind Spotify, it's depressing. They are also trying to do the same thing, although they seem to be doing it a bit differently. I think the future of podcast discovery has to be platform-based discovery that's controlled by algorithms in the same like, way. That, uh, like YouTube, right? Yeah, like YouTube, like TikTok, like YouTube Shorts, like any other platform that puts the content you want to see in front of you. I think these podcasting platforms, especially the big ones, Apple and Spotify, uh, and now YouTube, need to get better at doing that. And in this regard, I think YouTube has a very um, a very big advantage, especially since video podcasting seems to be, and, and really has been signaling that it's going to be the way of the future for the last few years. But especially in the last year, it's been real clear that if you're podcasting without video, it's not that you can't be successful, but it's that you're you're missing out on an opportunity on an opportunity to differentiate yourself in a field that is not yet oversaturated. Because there's mm-hmm. plenty of podcasts that are just audio only. There are right. not that many that are video, and so there's an opportunity there. There's a let's say an uncapped organic reach, if I want to use a or, fancy or phrase. Un, yeah, un, untapped to some degree. There's mm-hmm. still a window of opportunity there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's, that's a lot of the reason why I'm doing this show with, with StreamYard is, is that I think that, you know, I see all the trends. I've been involved in the industry for, since it started and I'm, I, I'm seeing the development. And, and for me, it's really kind of, and in, in those that have followed the show have heard me say this many times, but th- this is really a return to the early days of podcasting when podcasting was um, in a big way about video and, uh, and it's kind of remarkable to think about that, that in the early days of this medium, that it, it was a lot about video. Um, and then we moved away from that because of YouTube. I mean, that's the common denominator in this whole situation is the the influence and the impact of YouTube it even goes back to the early days of this medium. 
um, siphoning off all those video podcasters into YouTube. They all had video podcast feeds. That, that would be an MP4 file linked up in a RSS feed, just like they, the MP3 file is that we see today. And so gradually the industry started to think of themselves as primarily an audio medium. And so now we're seeing YouTube go, wow, we want to be part of the YouTube or part of the podcast uh, world. And all of a sudden now the conversation is shifting back towards video again. To, to um, be fair, I think Spotify really spearheaded that because yeah. they started introducing uh, the ability to add video. I think this was two years ago or three years ago. Correct. Correct. Um, they started testing video with uh, video uploads with their anchor product. Yeah. And that actually – Actually, Daniel, the CEO of Spotify, came out like maybe like four years ago and said that video and podcasting were going to be a priority for the platform. It took him a couple of years to actually make that happen. But Yes, let's be very yeah. clear about the lack of competency at YouTube <laughs> in concerns to podcasting. Well, even, yeah. even Spotify, right? I mean, they've yeah. had their bumps in the road too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But however – YouTube, man, did they take their sweet time figuring it out. And I think they're still figuring it out. Well, they've but, always had, and a lot of people don't realize this, they've always had a YouTube or a podcasting team at YouTube. Since um, I first started working with the YouTube team when I was working for Podcast One down in Los Angeles, and they had a couple, you know, account managers that were assigned to work with podcasters. <laughs> These were like big people like Bobby. And they were larger podcasters, yeah. right? They were big, big name podcasters that were, you know, and I would, I would throw like Joe Rogan in the mix on that. And some of those folks back in the early days, cause th this was back in like 2014 timeframe, but they were, um, they were definitely on board with that and saw an opportunity there. It's just, it, it was interesting that all of a sudden over the last couple of years, and I saw this happen for the first time at the podcast show in London, like, three years ago um, where YouTube was the major sponsor of mm -hmm. the, of the podcast show in London, uh, which is a podcasting conference in Europe. So th they were all in. So, but anyway, um, so I think we all agree here that video is important. How important do you think that uh, live is right now, Tanner, as you think about this in the context of podcasting? I think the thing that can most differentiate someone right now is that their content be especially deep and very well informed. Mm -hmm. I think that we have a lot of content that is just vapid or very short uh, or just for the lulls. And I think that what people are very hungry for is more intimate content. And, and by that, I, I don't mean anything dirty. Right. <laughs> I just mean more, just more real. Yeah, something that feels like, wow, this person is smart. Oh, I'm really learning something here. Not like, you know, life hacks or these things that you see in 30 seconds for giggles, not stuff like that. So I think that that's number one. I also think, going back to what I said before about video in general being a differentiator in a space that's not yet oversaturated, I think that's doubly true for live because for the same reasons, it's not oversaturated yet. There are not enough people doing live podcasts. If you were to uh, start a podcast today, I, I tell people all the time, and I would not have told them this four years ago. I would not have told them this three years ago. It's possible I wouldn't have told it to them 
last year, <laughs> but I'm telling it to them now that you need to sign up with Spotify for podcasters. You should be doing video forward. You should be dropping a, a video file into your uh, into your Spotify for podcasters account. It used to be Anchor, if anyone's mm-hmm. not following there. Um, and you should be leading a video forward podcast, and you should be relying very heavily on Spotify because of their discovery engines um, with Apple as a secondary, and then everything else just doesn't even really matter. And that's one thing that I say that, I think the old guard gets real upset about is that they say, well, the power of RSS is that, first of all, it's the last bastion of free speech, as if we don't think a lot of ourselves as podcasters, right? RSS is the last bastion of free speech is kind of a ridiculous statement to make. But also, (laughs) but also they say, and RSS allows you to be everywhere. Okay, well, I need to focus marketing efforts and if I have to focus them everywhere, if I have $100 a month to budget towards marketing, do I want to spend that $100 in one place or do I want to spend a dollar in 100 different places? Mm-hmm. So, And anybody who looks at their podcast feed, it's Spotify and Apple. Google's the next closest thing, but it's probably only 1% to, two, one to 3% of your entire audience. And then everything and Google's else is going right. away, right? Yeah, right, right. And it's going away. Uh, and... Everything else is like half a percent, a third of a percent. It, it, it's it's just why are we? It's fine to distribute everywhere via RSS, but it's not very helpful. <laughs> it's Spotify right. and it's Apple. My show, for example, has a hundred and some odd thousand listeners every individual listeners every month, and uh, I host with Megaphone that show. So I, I happen to think that the stats in Megaphone are some of the industry's best. Not surprising, mm-hmm. they're owned by Spotify and have access to a lot of big data. Um, but I've lost my train of thought a bit. Maybe it's because it's midnight. What was I saying? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You are, you are past the uh, normal podcasting time frame. No question. Oh, in, oh, I was talking about the share of ear that those platforms have. Right. My, well, in Sp- their stats. Spotify is, Spotify is 80% of my audience. 80%. <laughs> and the rest 80%? of it is Apple. Wow. Yeah, and the rest of it is Apple. You know, like 19% of it is Apple and the rest of it is like platforms that it's not that I don't care about them. It's that I cannot put any effort towards marketing on those other platforms. So it's great that it's there, but I don't care that my podcast is on Pandora. If 10 really great fans are on Pandora, that's great. And I'm glad they're there, but I can't pay any attention to that. I can't be everywhere just because my podcast can be everywhere. And when you're spending money on a podcast, whether, or when you're, when you're investing in a podcast, whether that's money or your time or your brain energy, you have got to go after the lowest hanging fruit first for the sake of your own sanity. You don't want to be trying to grow your audience on Pandora. You want to be trying to grow it in the places where it's easiest to grow it, places with uh, discovery algorithms like Spotify and newly Apple. So why do you think um, your audience is predominantly Spotify? Is there anything you can trace it to? Um, no specifically, is it the algorithm? No, is no it idea. the this, type this of is, content that you're making? This is the most beautiful thing about podcasting, and it drives every podcast guru bananas when I bring it up, is that – and I, I'm going to be completely honest here. My podcast, Practical Stoicism, the one that is the most successful podcast I've ever had, I have no social for it. I have a YouTube channel for it that I started three days ago. Uh, I have, that I just auto-publish via RSS to YouTube. So No YouTube has, social media. 
None. Seriously? I don't have a. I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have an Instagram for it. I just started a podcast in January of 2022. I'm but you have a website, though. I have a yeah. website. This, as of I don't know, the middle of last year, I think I stood the website up. I started a podcast in 2022 on Saturdays. I would wake up Saturday morning. I'd read a meditation of Marcus Aurelius. I'd think about it for a minute. I'd write about it, and then I'd pre- record, perform it, edit it, engineer it, and publish it the same day. Whole process took me two hours, maybe three, and I did, and the episodes were 15 minutes long. And by June of that year, with no marketing, no social, no talking about it, no sharing, no word of mouth, that podcast had more than 100,000 downloads a month by the summer. And I hadn't done a damn thing to promote it. And, and 80% were, of them came out of Spotify. Well, at that point, they were all coming out of Spotify. It was all oh. on Spotify. Okay. And, and I can't even tell you how I did it. So you didn't do any video. Nope. It was all, all short-form audio, right? All short-form audio at the time, yeah. That's it. Just read Marcus's meditations, baby. Now, to be fair, there are some things that probably helped me that I wasn't thinking of when I created the show. Like, for example... Stoicism in general, competent Stoicism, we could talk about that a little bit, is, is, an, is an underserved niche. That's not what I was thinking of when I created the show, but it is true that it's an underserved niche in podcasting. It's also the case that we were still in the pandemic in 2022, mm-hmm. and so Stoicism was probably experiencing a boon in interest as people were trying to figure out how to be more resilient and all these things that pop culture tell you that Stoicism is all about which is not what stoicism is all about. We can talk about that later if you want. Yeah, um, let's definitely do that. Yeah, uh, but, but aside from those things that may have been happening and may have helped me, I literally did nothing. And I still do nothing except make my show 30 minutes on Monday, one hour on Fridays. That's all I do. And I'm a full-time podcaster as a result of that. And I have done absolutely nothing to make that happen other than create a competent, well-produced, well-edited, well-engineered, good-sounding podcast. But I can't tell you that's the way you be successful because I did that with 19 other fucking shows and nothing happened with that. Yeah, right. So so it just worked with that show. You can't really – and that's probably a big takeaway here. And I know you played around with – because I talked to you about this. Um, in um, kind of like buying ads, right, on various platforms mm-hmm. to promote your podcast, right? Yep. Uh, I think a lot of people in the industry were thinking that uh, that was the strategy going forward was to uh, was to treat your podcast like a startup oh, you're, company. You're going to be in so much business. trouble with everybody listening to this. They're going to hate me. They're going to know. No, they're a not. Business no. Person. No, I mean, a lot of the marketing gurus that I know of anyway um, have talked about that as well. Is that, and I know some very big podcasters, ones that have actually been on this program, um, Jordan Harbinger, Harbinger. who spends 40000 a month oh, running God, he ads he does. He on spends other people's some of that podcasts. With me, in fact, he spends some of that with me. Yeah, right. He buys ads on other people's podcasts. Mm hmm. To drive audience, and he's found that his ROI on driving audience like that is higher than the cost. I mean, his return on advertiser revenue is higher than the cost of running those ads. I find that so – I'm not calling you a liar, Jordan, but I find it real hard to believe that your (laughs) ROI just through advertiser dollars is higher than your ad spend. Well, you must be really, really good at targeting your your ads on podcasts. Well, here's the thing. be my answer to that. Here's the thing. Even if you were going to convert a new, 
let's say someone hears an ad for Jordan's show on my show, which they will because, or maybe not right now, but they will have, they would have in the past and they may in the future. Although not after I say this, Jordan's going <laughs> to, he's going to pull, he's going to pull, he's blacklisting me. Um, <laughs> an advertiser looks at the value of an impression around one cent to two cents. So that means that, um, when you spend, how do, how do I want to word this? How do I want to word this? He, if he's spending, let's say he's spending a hundred dollars, and a hundred people hear that ad, and all one hundred of them jump over to his podcast and become subscribers and start hearing his ad placements. Mm-hmm. Advertisers only pay about a penny or two pennies per impression. So a hundred people is a hundred to two hundred cents, which is a dollar to two dollars. But that's worth that's worth more than the hundred dollars he spent to get them. That does not make sense, Jordan. So I and maybe Jordan's just magic. Maybe he's converting people for free. I I don't know how. I don't know what's happening. But that's well, the word of mouth, you know. It's yes, the word of mouth that it, 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 it inspires, right? Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I talk about with this and spending money with podcasting is I think it's a great strategy. I think that if the thing is that when you spend money to get someone to be a subscriber, let's say you spend $100. Yeah. You spend $100. Yeah, and like an get, Overcast app or something like that, right? Sure. Okay. Let's say you spend $100 in Overcast or on Facebook or any other or on Google AdWords, uh, AdWords, AdWords, if you want to. Yeah. Or, Twitter, X, whatever we call it now. Let's say you just spend $100. Your conversion rate is probably going to be 1% to 3% of uh, not your spend, but your reach. So let's stop saying we spend $100 and let's just say we reached 100 people with our ad. Right. One to three of those people for like basic, decent copy and decent creative, one to three of those people are going to come over and they're going to be listeners. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But you spent potentially $100 to attract those three people, which is fine if those three people can quickly become worth more than what you spent. So I don't know if I actually don't listen to Jordan's show, uh, so I don't know that he has these things, but I suspect Mm -hmm. he does because he's quite smart. Um, I think he has other things of value. Right. And I think that he probably has, so he might have products or courses or things Mm -hmm. like this. if I pay $100 to gain 10 listeners, but five of those listeners purchase a $50 product from me, all of a sudden, yes, it becomes very worth it for me to spend $100 to gain uh, 10 listeners mm-hmm. because the cost per acquisition is lower than what the, let's say, the lifetime value of the, of the subscriber is to me. And a lot of podcasters are not thinking about, they're not thinking about, they're like, I'm going to spend $1,000, I'm going to get 1,000 listeners. Okay, great. But even if you monetize 1,000 listeners, that's worth $20. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not going to pay for it, right? But I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess you have to look at it like an investment, I guess, but you have to have the business model around it. You have to have a business model. And this this is why right. I got away from podcast t- talking head nonsense. I literally, Rob, I said, I'm so tired of doing this for other people. I'm just going to go do it for myself now. <laughs> I'm going to live in peace. <laughs> and that's the peace that I've been living in. Uh, and some people in the in the audience seem to remember me from TikTok. 
I spent, I cannot tell you how much time, not TikTok, uh, Clubhouse. I can't tell you how much time I spent in Clubhouse during the pandemic answering the same seven questions about what microphone to get and how do you, how do you acoustically treat a room and how do you EQ well and things like this. I love helping people, but it's just not, it's not a place, it's not a medium for in, independent creators anymore. If what independent creators are hoping to do is earn income off of their creative output. And I know that a lot of artistic type people think that when you muddle money up with our, with artistic or creative endeavors, you somehow detract from your uh, the genuine nature of what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of artistic um, or creative-minded people think, no, I'm doing it because I just love doing it. And I know that some of that is true. I know that I, for example, wouldn't be podcasting about stoicism if I hated it. <laughs> right? I didn't right. wake up one day and say, stoicism, that sounds like a moneymaker. That's not how it works. We all get into podcasting at first because we are attracted to the thing that we want to talk about. And that's genuine. But nobody doesn't want a big audience. And when people say that to me, they're like, I don't care if I only have 12 listeners. That's not true. You're not being honest with me and you're not being honest with yourself. Because if you didn't care that anybody was watching, listening or watching your podcast, you would have just started a journal. You would have gotten a tape recorder. You would have gotten a home video cam and shot home movies and never showed it to anyone. Mm -hmm. It is like saying, I don't care if people read what I write. Well, then why do you have a sub stack? Why did you have a live journal? Part of part of what you enjoy about the creative mediums you're in is that you get to share the thing you love with other people who are interested in it. And there's a positive feedback loop that feels like success, that feels like winning, that everybody needs. And no matter how you slice it, whether your measure of success is that feeling or money, the audience has to grow. And I ju it just became increasingly impossible for me to help independent podcasters achieve that feeling because it was, it would require s more money than they had because there were right. no, alg there were no well-performing algorithms to speak of. I was an adver I was a uh, strategic advisor at pods. Pods was acquired by Spotify. Spotify began implementing pods tech stack for discovery in 2022. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was. And so that's gotten, you know, it's a different world now, but at that point, 2021, 2022, I just couldn't, I couldn't help indies anymore. And a lot of indies didn't like me telling them to think of their creative endeavors as businesses, but that's what they had to start doing or they were never yeah. going to grow their audiences yeah. for the reasons that we've been talking about. Yeah, I, I do think that that's probably kind of a practical way of starting to look at it more. So if you thought about, uh, the video part, would you consider um, doing doing video to support your stoicism program? Yeah, I'm so I have tried to I've tried to figure this out because my stoicism, my stoicism program, I love that it's a program now that makes it sound like a television show <laughs> that, that it's, uh, it's growing up now. Yeah, right? the, the, On Mondays, it's monologue. I script. I'm not terrific as a I'm a scripted performer. Right. And I think a lot of podcasters need to think of themselves in some way as an actor, as a mm -hmm. performer, as talent behind the mic, because yes, you are creating something that you want to create, but you're also pr 
trying to deliver on the promise to the audience of what they're going to experience when they listen to you. And so in some regard, you're, you're acting in a, you know, you're, sh you're showing up and you're being disciplined and you're uh, being a, uh, being a disciplined talent. And so you're not completely yourself, but you're not, not, you're not being something dishonest. I think more people need to learn to show up that way to their podcast. But so my Monday episodes are scripted. They're performed, uh, the way that, uh, the way that a voiceover script might be performed. Right. And then my month, I don't know how I would do that on video. I don't think anybody wants to see my face looking at them. <laughs> speaking like this. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's the whole episode. I don't think that's very Yeah, that's an interesting, but, you know, and if you were, you probably wouldn't want to do it live because you want to do some post on it, right? Can I, hold on. Can I answer Richard Rosner's question? Yes. Yeah, I was going to. It's this one. That. That's the RE20, right? It's the RE20. It's by ElectroVoice. It's the best mic. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. <laughs> It's the best microphone. Uh, of course, it's an opinion. Um, what uh, what makes it so good? Just curious. Ooh, the, well, from a technical perspective, one thing that makes it really good is it avoids. I can't believe that I've not used this phrase in so long that I'm going to forget. Oh, proximity effect. When you get close to a microphone like the one uh, that our friend over here is using, what is that? Is that the SM7B? Yes. When you, when you get close to the SM7B that Rob has like this, which you want to do because you want to increase signal-to-noise ratio. I'm going to get real nerdy now. You <laughs> increase signal-to-noise ratio by doing this. But when you get close to an SM7B or any other mic but an ElectroVoice, this, you become a victim of what's called proximity effect, which is the right. closer you get to the mic, the bigger boost you get in the low end, and you get this really boomy thing that I think some people like, but audio engineers yeah. want to shoot themselves over. Yeah. Uh, but this has a technology in it that is patented by ElectroVoice and hopefully will someday be in the public domain so other microphones can take advantage of it. But I can get as close to this as I want, and it doesn't affect my EQ, my EQ through uh, as a result of proximity effect because it doesn't struggle from it. Another reason is it's just a great, a well-built mic that I have never heard male or female voice on it that didn't sound amazing. It's a great mic. It's also a $500 mic, so it's not cheap. So and, it, and It's it, a little more it, expensive than the SM7B, right? Well, for... Not only do you need the mic, but you need like I'm using an Audion ID4 to power it, and I'm using mm -hmm. uh, um, what is what product is this? I mean, I'm using um, I want to say it's a Trident, but I don't think that that's actually true. Uh, it's, it's got a it's, stabilizer kind of rack to it no, too, no, so if you bump it, it doesn't doesn't. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin the. That's fine. The suspension of disbelief here with my backdrop. But <laughs> it's got oh, it's got this thing on it. This Triton fat fat head. That gives yeah. it uh, – it does what a cloud lifter does, but it connects directly to the XLR. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. So, I have a cloud cloud lifter for this one too because this one you have to drive gain because most mixers and don't drive enough gain. With I can't it. believe I'm seeing Gabe Leal. What's up, Gabe, <laughs> in, your, in your chat? I mean, I haven't seen Gabe in a while. I miss you, Gabe. Um, Gabe, where, where, where's that Gabe, one? It's Gabe. It's Gabe. It's Gabe. Gabe. Yeah. I'm trying to find it here. It's coming in on LinkedIn. Oh, I'm sharing to my LinkedIn. I forgot to tell you that. Oh, that's fine. I don't no. know if you can see that or not. No, I can't. I can't. No. So, but anyway, so what did, uh, 
What did he say? Is there anything, any comment there of interest? Oh, no, he just said it's late for, uh, he just said what's going on. And Marissa said it's late for me here. And yes, indeed it is. It's, it's almost one in the morning. Um, but, but my point about this was that this is a great mic, but this is an example of, do you really need to drink the Kool-Aid to, to create a good show? I can't tell you that the reason my podcast is successful isn't because I have this microphone because I don't know why my podcast is successful, but I have this microphone and my podcast is successful. Um, that's not the reason I'm telling you that you should have this mic. This mic is well-built. Electro Voice has yeah. great technology, but it is going to cost you $500 plus $100 for the clean gain boost plus the audio interface device because it's XLR. You need to port it over to USB. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, there is – in order for me to have this call with, uh, with Rob right now, I have 500 the $600 thing that this right. thing that it's sitting in the pop filter, which is another $60, the audience, a hundred dollars, the fat heads, a hundred dollars. Like it gets expensive to chase perfect audio. And that's not even, there's so much reverb in my kitchen right now that it's, it's Mike doesn't even make a difference, but that's actually one. I shouldn't have said that because one of the reasons I also, I like this mic so much is even in imperfect environments, it sounds pretty damn good. Um, if I was using a, a lesser, um, let's say, a, a less well-built microphone, the reverb that you would be hearing uh, right now yeah. would just be disgusting. Yeah, and it's also, I, I believe the RE20 and the SM7B have very strong what they call rear rejection, which means mm -hmm. that if there's any kind of echo effect that comes from yeah. speaking into it, it doesn't yeah. bounce back into the microphone and create like a yeah. slight echo effect. Yeah, Especially great. if you're doing your show in front of a big screen, a big screen um, monitor, mm -hmm. um, that can be an issue with some microphones. And both of these microphones are considered dynamic microphones, which means that they do have close proximity pickup patterns. Mm -hmm. um, so you do need to be fairly close to them. You can't really, I mean, if I were to put this further away here, and I, I should probably show my screen here, but. Um, While you do that, I'm going to answer uh, Studio 1209 group. Yeah, yeah. Answer that question. Yeah, I would uh, love to know your software too. But uh, you know, if I scoot this microphone away further, you can still hear me. But the oh, but I can hear the canniness now. Yeah, I can hear right. the bounce for sure. Totally. Yeah, and and I I have this foam filter to it, and you can see here the actual diaphragm is pretty far back on the microphone hmm. back here, so it has a a, a good natural distance um, already in the microphone, and I. I don't know if that's the case with the RE20. Is the RE20 kind of diaphragm deeper into the microphone, or do you know? It's right here. It's right there. So it does have a little bit of gap between mm -hmm. where you speak into it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Studio One from Presonus is the software that I use. That's the software I you use? Okay. I absolutely love it. I used to use Avid, um, Avid Pro Tools. And that's still the industry standard if you're on a PC. And to be honest, even if you're on a Mac, although Logic Pro, of course, has come up a bit over the years and may even may even be becoming an industry standard or an industry standard alternative. Anyway, it certainly is that already. Um, but I like uh, I like Studio One. It's got a fully customizable keyboard. Um, it's the only one that I can find that allows me to customize the the native Apple keyboard commands, like the command key and the option key, you usually can't program those keys in other DAWs, but you can do it in Studio One. And so I'm able to uh, delete, edit, cut, um, fade, crossfade, fade, 
all with just these four fingers, and that's all. I, that's the only thing that ever has to touch the keyboard. And I, I feel very proficient in Studio One. Um, it's twenty bucks a month U.S. I, I'm pretty sure nineteen ninety nine a month for a subscription to it, and uh, it's great. I, I really love it. But but also like, do you want to be an audio engineer? Or do you want to pay somebody else to do that? For you? <laughs> because so, do you use their their audio? Um, kind of interface and use USB or what's your, your connection to your recording? I use an Audient ID4. Uh, mm-hmm. Audient's a great brand. Uh, I used to have, what did I use? It doesn't matter. I use an Audient ID4 now with this microphone, uh, of course, USB connection through the Audient um, USB-C connection. And mm-hmm. I'm on my laptop at the moment, but I am usually on a Mac, um, what do they call them? They're, they're the Mac Studio boxes that they just came out with a couple years ago and they're they're meant for video production in fact um but i just like having overpowered machines so i don't have to worry about anything not you know locking up or or what have you and then i use a whole whole technology stack of like vsts and plugins of various kinds to to make the audio sound, sound good got it got it yeah, you also told me that you're uh you've you've recently picked up uh using Streamyard too oh i love Streamyard. I love so it. So, how are you using that today? What's your so your, right now the, your, the 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 fatherhood podcast is run on that completely. We record every Saturday morning, and then I pull it down, edit it, and publish it on Sunday morning. Um, and I I'm using it in a very basic capacity, I guess. Myself mm-hmm. and my two co-hosts show up on camera. We record, and while we haven't published those videos yet, the intention is to do that in the long run. Um, so, so at the moment we're just saving them. And then for practical stoicism, I do my Friday interviews, um, on through, through StreamYard and I, and I absolutely love it. And all the little bells and whistles that they seem to be adding lately, I, I'm constantly getting emails from the duck who I've just learned's name is Puddles. Is that true? Puddles. Yeah. Name? He's actually, uh, on my, my mug behind me back here. So actually it's called Puddles. That's so cool. Puddles, the, the, the duck. They have a life-size, you know, costume that they they deploy at conferences. <laughs> yeah, so so Studio 1209 is saying something that's very real. Creatives do need to make money. Yeah. Um but but it's they have to be very careful about how they do it because, you know, I make I make a full-time living, a pretty decent full-time living. I mean, I think in ad revenue on a on a normative month it's like $10,000 in ad revenue. Now, I I only get 60% of that because I'm part of a network. Mm-hmm. 60% of 10,000 is 6 grand and then post tax. You know, I have a job. It's not I'm not making a million dollars a year. I'm not making $100,000 a year, but you know, I'm doing like $4,500 a month after tax plus Patreon and anything else that I have. Um that I'm, you know, it's it's a it's a job. But a lot of people make the assumption that because I have a very successful podcast and I'm making money hand over fist and when you're working in the creative world in a way that's helping people, or as is my case, I'm working in the philosophy space. <laughs> yeah. People are like, what are you doing, you phony philosopher? <laughs> How dare you make money off of stoicism? Uh, so, so we just have to be very, we have to thank you, Gabe. I appreciate that. We have to be very careful about, um, we have, Creatives and people who work in like educational spaces have to be very careful about the commoditizing they do of the thing they've created. But the truth of the matter is like we're doing a job. People are showing up every day to consume the labor of our job, you know, and 
we get mad when people who work at McDonald's don't make $15 an hour, but everybody's like, shut up, podcaster. <laughs> we don't give a shit what you make. Well, why? You might want to maybe second, you may want to reexamine what you get upset about and what's fair for people to get paid and how you feel about creators getting paid. But I happen to be a, a very big advocate for creators making money. And that's a bit of an uphill battle because it's real hard to get a creator, especially the more artistic they are. Uh, or the more they think that being poor or broke, I guess, is is like part of an artist's mantra or something. <laughs> it, it becomes more difficult to sh to be like, listen, you're an artist and that's cool, but you need to make money. And you're not doing anybody any favors by not making money because you're going to starve to death and be on the street and then you're not going to have a microphone anymore and then you're not going to be able to have a podcast anymore. So I'm – uh I'm pretty passionate about trying to pull creators' heads out of their rears and saying, like, look, you're not selling out. You're trying to make what you're doing sustainable yeah. so you can do more of it. Because if you want to change the world, man, you can do that with no budget, but you can change the world a lot more if you've got a little bit of a budget. <laughs> you yeah, have to, right. Like, do two jobs and then podcast on the weekends. You might be able to be more effective in your mission. Yeah, obviously, Gabe uh, likes what you do. He calls you a, a myth and a Gabe. legend all at the I, same time. I love Gabe. Gabe is from the old <laughs> clubhouse cruise. Yeah, that's great. So before we run out of time, because I, I think we're getting close to the, the top of the hour. I'm in my second win now. It's 1 a.m. Oh, you oh. just keep on rolling, right? Just keep yeah. on rolling. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about stoicism, right? And And there may be some aspects of stoicism that we can tap into that can help uh, help make you a better podcaster? Or or do you think that that's true? Well, Just the assumption know, of that. So here's the thing. I'm going to talk about religion. I'm not going to bash it, but this isn't a sermon, so don't run away. Would you agree, Rob, if, if I were to say there's a difference between your everyday Catholic and a Catholic theologian? Would you say that there is a difference between those two things? Yes. That's their – Probably depth of knowledge and depth, their depth knowledge. their their commitment to the ideology, right? C correct. Uh, and something similar happens in Stoicism. There is the well. Well, let's just stick with Catholicism for a second. Uh, there is a your everyday Catholic is going to be more practical in how they practice their faith, and if they weren't allowed to be it would probably be the case that a lot of people wouldn't be Catholic because it would be too much work, right? People are, people are practical. They, they want practical solutions to things. Mm -hmm. Stoicism is very similar. Stoicism borders on being a religion. It's a very spiritual practice. It's not religious. Uh, it, is in, it in fact has no supernatural elements in it, which is something that makes it very unique as a quote-unquote spiritual practice and a virtue ethics framework. But in order to if it's going to be popularized, you can't popularize the theologian version of it, right? And so a lot of the understanding about Stoicism is the the parts of it that people know about are the parts that are eas easily popularizable, I guess, if that's a word. And if mm -hmm. not, I've just invented it. Uh, <laughs> and so you you often equate Stoicism with things like being resilient, Stoicism has nothing to do with being resilient. And everybody would say, that's crazy. Ryan Holiday says it's about being resilient. And he writes about Stoicism all the time. That's true. Ryan Holiday writes about Stoicism all the time. He wrote a whole book about Stoicism, a couple of them. And he has never used the word virtue in any of them, or at least <laughs> not in, not in ob obstacles the way I think he doesn't even use it. And 
Stoicism is a virtue ethics framework, so to not use the word virtue in the entire book is insane. But it's because you can't popularize the really in-depth stuff. You have to bring out the stuff that people can use practically in their life. So Stoicism has a lot of misconceptions. Uh, you shouldn't be Is emotional. that what the podcast is about? Is, it's, it's is exactly what it's about. Questioning <laughs> the, the known principles of Stoicism? Well, well, it's it's trying to correct. Correct. It. This is not how it started. It started as therapy for me because I was I was struggling through the pandemic and had lost a bit. I'd gone functionally bankrupt on my studio clothes because you can't put people in a studio no. when they have to be it, eight foot apart from each other. Yeah, right. So yeah, or, that. or even six feet apart, which is even worse, right? But, yeah. but, but the show has become a way to correct misconceptions about stoicism. You don't. I don't want people to think that stoicism is about having no feelings because it's not. I don't want people to think stoicism is about being a lone wolf because it's not. Stoicism is like super hippy dippy. Like it's very, we should all get along and be friends and love is, love is God. Like it's very that. And people are like, no, it's not. It's about being a lone wolf and strong. And like, you don't have any emotions. And if your girlfriend breaks up with you, who cares? Who needs her? <laughs> like that's, like, that is, that is what pop culture stoicism uh, is. And but that's not actually what stoicism is. So, uh, so the podcast is about educating people who want to be educated about what stoicism actually is. So, how does a a clear understanding of stoicism help someone um, better deal with the the issues of their life? Do you, do you think, or as a podcaster for that matter? Oh man, we're going to get deep at one oh six. Yeah, we are. Morning. All right, yeah. let's do it, baby. I'm ready for that. I want to so, challenge you here. <laughs> Everybody's gonna start dropping off. They're like, I don't have time for this yeah. virtue nonsense. Well, it's already after after an hour now, so that, that that's yeah. to be expected. But yes. uh, we we are still doing the giveaway here, so okay, so so, you're gonna have a chance. That's right. That's you why, have to become stoic so you don't get. The that's duck. my last grasp here of, <laughs> of audience here is to offer uh, something free. So. Right. So stoicism is a virtue ethics framework, which means its entire point is to acquire virtue. A lot of people hear virtue and they think they, they don't even know what to think when they hear that word. They might have, they, and there's probably a whole myriad of of different ways that people define it. But to the ancient Stoics, virtue was the knowledge of how to live excellently. They didn't use the word virtue; they used the word erite. Um, but we say virtue because it's Latin and we speak English, and Latin to English. I don't know something like that. Right. So we say virtue; they said erite. But it's it's a special kind of knowledge. It's the knowledge of how to live excellently, which means the knowledge of how to act morally appropriately in every situation. The interesting thing about that is that it makes stoicism and morality, in fact, extremely contextual. So it's a very flexible philosophy, and people don't know that. Because if I'm a, you know, a white guy who podcasts for a living, who lives in the north of England, my, con my context is very different than someone who lives in Southeast Asia and uh, is, a, is a farmer or an engineer or something. So the way that they might choose to be a responsible, uh, I don't know, consumer would be different than how I would choose to be a responsible consumer. An example of that would be if I live in Florida and I want a coconut, I can just go outside. I can climb a coconut tree. I mean, I can't, but hypothetically someone could. Grab a coconut, pop a hole in it, get some coconut water. Great, done. No harm, no foul. But if I live in the north of England, unfortunately, which I do, uh, then I, in order to get a coconut, I've got to do 
some pretty crazy shit to get a coconut, right? I've got to justify flying a bunch of coconuts from another country to me because I want a coconut. And it becomes very clear in Stoicism when you get into the ethics aspect of the philosophy that it's not the thing you're doing. It's not the outcome. It's the reasoning and logic involved in making the choice is the choice to get a coconut at great expense to the environment and who knows what else, just because you want one. Is that a, is that a very appropriate, morally appropriate thing to do? Well, for the person in Florida, sure, because they can get it. But for the person in England, maybe it's not. And then people say things like, well, <laughs> people say things like, well, that's, they get really mad when, when presented with a thought experiment like that. But what we're really talking about is the practice and mastery of one of the cardinal virtues in Stoicism, which is temperance. So self-discipline and self-control. Well, you can't have coconuts whenever you want them. Epictetus said, don't want figs in the winter because they're not in season. Right. Uh, and so part well, of being stoic your, is being temperate. Your body is in balance with nature, right? So you shouldn't actually eat any fruit that isn't in season. That's right. right. That's what the Stoics would tell you. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you that when this conversation drifts into, should I be a vegan? First of all, no, you don't have to be a vegan in order to be a Stoic. However, right. there are some like considerations that people get really upset about. Like the Stoics would have said that. The Stoics would have absolutely said that hooking a cow to a like a bar and then just artificially keeping it pregnant so it can create milk forever because you don't ever want to be without milk, they would totally say that you shouldn't be doing that. So right. there's like, it's a very practical philosophy uh, and, it, and it gets sold short a lot of times. But I think in getting to know it very well, you begin to develop, I think a lot of people struggle to define what it means to be a good person. And mm-hmm. All philosophies, of course, give you an answer to what it means to be a good person and give you a framework to do it. But I find that the Stoic philosophy gives you an extremely practical one, and it grounds you in an idea. It, it, it finally gave me – the reason that it was so valuable to me is that it, it gave me the idea of what it meant to be good. It gave me a purpose in my life to achieve this knowledge of how to be morally perfect for the, just for the sake of doing that because it mm-hmm. is in every human being's nature – to be a sage, they call it a sage, uh, the per- morally perfect person. And even though no one's ever become a sage and no one ever will, which is another part I really like about it because it's ever self-improvement, uh, it's still something worth working towards because it means you can always m- improve. And I think that that's helpful in podcasting <laughs> because you're never going to probably yeah. have a successful podcast <laughs> unless you get lucky, but you can always get better at podcasting. And I, I think that if we're going to yeah, tie think- stoicism together with podcasting in this very not the way stoicism was intended kind of way, then that's how I would do it, I think. Stoicism yeah. allows you to see the point in making progress right. even though you know perfection isn't possible. And that's pretty helpful Um pretty helpful skill to have as a podcaster. Yeah. So would you agree that this concept of stoicism um, is includes the concept of, you know, showing uh, resilience against setbacks um, yeah, sure. and yeah, uh, well, you know, people being more this. regular, being more consistent, hmm. um, um, being, well, being a better kind of community builder as well? It is, it is a side effect of the, ver- the knowledge of how to live excellently. If you mm-hmm. have that knowledge, 
then you don't view setbacks as bad things, as vicious things. You view them as indifferent things, as things which have no impact on your ability to possess the knowledge of how to live excellently. Yeah. So, so yes, it makes you resilient because of that, although Stoicism's goal isn't to make you resilient. It's to make you wise. Yeah. Well, we should probably, I think the... The audience is getting a little impatient towards getting to the drawing here, so, um, but that's to be expected. I totally appreciate that. Um, I thank everybody for entering the, the giveaway here for a StreamYard mug as well as a, a, a hoodie StreamYard uh, sweatshirt. Do I get one as a guest? I suppose it's possible. Yes. <laughs> I want Puddles the Duck. You want Puddles the Duck too? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got plenty of those. So, so we should be able to facilitate that, um, Tanner. So anyway, let's, let's uh, go ahead and, and pull up the giveaway screen here. And if you haven't entered the, the drawing yet, just enter a hashtag the yard into your comment field and that will add it to the, the list. I think we're currently, at, uh, I believe, let's, let me look at it a little closer. I think 28. 28 entries so far. Um, so looks like we got one that just came in. Um, and it looks like we got a, um, a comment. <laughs> well, yeah, I love this. Forget the drawing. Keep going. <laughs> listen, uh, studio, if, if you want to listen to the podcast, it's practicalstoicism.com. Um, but you can you can also find it on Spotify mainly, but also anywhere else that you happen to listen to podcasts. It is it is everywhere. Yeah, and it's only what would you say it's fifteen minutes long, fifteen twenty minutes. That is how it used to be. It, it, uh, the back catalog is almost exclusively just fifteen minute long episodes with okay. two ads at the beginning. You know, like you do a pre roll right. and then fifteen minutes of content. Um, but but now, as of just the end of last year, I've started to do thirty minute episodes on Mondays monologues that dive into a meditation or a text and try to break it down and pre- present it in a practical and useful way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Fridays are interviews with people like Donald Robertson or most recently Michael Tremblay releases tomorrow. Um, people who know academics, sometimes successful authors, sometimes, um, but people who I think know more than me and so are worth listening to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that, that's terrific. So you're doing, your strategy is to go multiple times a week. Um, and that's a general. I was doing seven episodes. I was doing seven episodes a week at one point. You were. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But, but uh, a word of warning to people who might think that that's a good idea. If you're a news show, great. If you're um, like my friend Gary, who does the Everything Everywhere Daily podcast, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a little history bump that happens seven days a week. That's really successful. He's with the Glassbox Media Network. Um, it seems to be that the more you publish, the less return you get on the listenership. When I published one episode a week, I'd get 300,000 downloads a month. When I published seven episodes a week, I'd get 150,000 downloads a month, which doesn't make any sense. But listeners, uh, well, it doesn't seem linear. If you expect it to be a linear increase, it doesn't make any sense. But um, the truth is that people will get a bit overwhelmed when... Um, when they feel like there's a lot they've missed. So they come back, there's seven episodes and they're like, Oh shit, I'm behind. And then they're intimidated by the process. Oh, okay. So my, my audience, and this is probably subjective based on your content, you and your relationship with your audience. But uh, for me, what I've found is that two 
is the happy medium. People like a Monday and a Friday, and they like that one's an interview and one's a monologue, and that makes them happy, and so that's where I've decided to stay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good good strategy. I, I, I have seen some research that was showing that doing uh, more than one episode a, a week um, tended to grow audience faster. But, but at the end of the day, like you said earlier in the show, it's, it's really about the content, right? Yeah. That, that strategy isn't going to work for all podcasters under all circumstances. So yes, Steven's Steven's probably right there. Uh, although for me, it's listener fatigue, but, but yeah, Steven, it's something like that. It's, it's a fatigue of a kind people. I think the listener habits, listening habits for podcast listeners. I don't know this for sure, but it's an intuition that I've developed over the course of too many years for me to remember at this point that people have days they listen to podcasts and they have the particular ones they want to listen to on that day. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they probably listen to five to seven podcasts a week, most people, and they probably do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays. And mm-hmm. if you're putting out too much content for them to keep up with, they're probably going to drop you because <sighs> it's easier to drop you than drop a bunch of other shows to catch up with you. Right. Well, let's let, let's go ahead and do do the drawing here. I'll oh. I'll click the the draw button um, and click the draw button. Do it right. Okay. Let's do it. And just one comment here: um, if you you're not win, clicking it, Rob, you're not clicking it. I I, I know I'm not clicking it. <laughs> they're getting the pitchforks. Oh, I know they're coming for me fast. Um, but send me an email with your shirt size or your sweatshirt size and your address to rob.greenlee at gmail.com and we will get those out to you as soon as possible. So let's pull it, see who comes up. Cool, cool, cool. I like this. I've never seen this feature. This is great. Yeah, it's it's available to all StreamYard users. Ms. T with the T. She's spilling the tea. I like it. She is. She is. And she's going to be able to put it into a StreamYard mug too. That's right. Thank God we're giving away a mug. It's perfect for her. So congratulations, Miss T. With the T, you're going to have a StreamYard mug and a hoodie with a blue collar, a bluish green collar. So it's pretty cool. I have one here. I just didn't wear it tonight. But Tanner, thank you so much uh, for spending time with me here. Uh, It was great to to catch up with you again. And and I know we've done podcasts together before in the past, but uh, it was good to good to catch up with you over in the uk and and thank you so much everybody out there for listening to the show um and i'll be back with the show next week um so next thursday at uh, 7 p.m eastern uh which is like midnight um tanner's time (laughs) so all right all right well thank you so much everybody for being here I, i appreciate it and i'll i'll uh Pull up a couple more comments here before we exit, or at least one more. Um, oh, I have two hoodies and two ducks from StreamYard wins. All right, so you know, Collect you're you're a lucky person, quite obviously. There, you're a lucky duck, nut. nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you so much. It, it's always fun doing this show and and having this interactive experience with people that are following this this show and. You're a very special audience, and I I appreciate you being here with me. And so have a wonderful evening, everyone. Uh, Have a wonderful morning, Tanner. Um, And and hope we can stay in touch more. And and, uh, good luck with the podcast. So good night, everyone.